0: Welcome all to uh, Lagrasse Shirabindo Integral Life Center's New Perspectives Program. Alok was just here a few weeks ago in South Carolina as a keynote speaker for our annual 2023 Shriyabindo uh, Integral Yoga Retreat. So we are we are honored to have him back with us here today. Um, in his talk on the psychic being, its nature and evolutionary purpose, Alok will discuss the different aspects of the soul's journey and its importance for our individual and collective existence. As always, we'll have time for Q&A at the uh, end, so feel free to put your questions in the uh, Q&A box. Uh, With that, Dilok, I'd like to turn it over to you.
1: Namaste. In one of his letters to Nirodha, Shara says that there are, two things only that you need to know. One, there is a soul within and second, there is a grace above. And nirodha asks him that, is it really so? Is it only these two things that we need to know? And he says, yes. And it's so unfortunate that um, in through all our development and education, these two, especially the former is the most neglected topic even grace and I would suggest someday we should uh, also speak about grace that mysterious something that uh, without which life creation would have collapsed if you look at uh, you know the way it is developed the way it develops and uh, soul is that nuclear point focal point that can connect us with the grace the action of grace how it operates how we can become receptive to its instrument. But for today we have the soul and uh, Shurbindo reminds us that the only tragedy in life is to have died without recognizing the soul, without realizing the soul. And yet for most of us, we don't even consider it as a tragedy. So what really is this soul and what is this uh, soul life, its nature? Well, just as Palmist will tell us that we have two lifelines. There is one which is outer, which we call as the lifeline, and the other which is this supportive lifeline, that which supports. And this inner lifeline, we may say that is a life which is consisting of our inner being, which in turn is still in contact with something still deeper, the inmost life or the life of the soul. And we know only the surface life, or we try to know only the surface life, which is a life of events, circumstances, shaping us. We think that we are controlling our events and circumstances, but more often than not, we discover how all that we planned, all that we thought should happen, doesn't happen and something else takes its place. And we wonder at the hidden cause of things. So that's because there is another part deep within us that is prompting us, shaping us, drawing in forces from the cosmos. Unlike the outer being, the inner being is in touch with the whole creation and the cosmos. And uh, this inner being with its inner thoughts, feelings, hopes, aspirations is the one which is drawing forces in our environment. And uh, deep within this inner being is hidden as a seed within it's crushed or layers the secret soul. So what really is this secret soul? And we have such a wonderful uh, description in in the origin of uh, creation itself that the mother and Shurabindu gives. And uh, it's in the form of a story and it's worthwhile starting from there. And the story goes um, that when the divine starts the creation or the one, he brings out of himself the Shakti and the Shakti dances and dances and creates and creates. And what is the basis of a creation? Her basis of creation is the image of the Lord which she shelters in her heart. And therefore she creates, endlessly creates, countless names, forms, names, forms, layers, planes because she is infinite. And in each of her creations she limits herself and it goes on, goes on until it's about to sink into a complete oblivion and that's when we see to provide a stable basis the lord himself becomes the base Brahman and in Puranic legends he becomes Shiva the inert the Tamoguni on whom Shakti is dancing as Prakriti so this is where the dance has taken its extreme leap plunge into an utter darkness and then This creation has to be rescued out. Why? Because as she steps her feet on Shiva and the dance is stabilized on the Lord, she suddenly realizes, recognizes what she is here for and she starts searching for him and the reverse process begins. But in this process, when the two meet thus, something is created, something that she brings out of herself to help in this entire journey and thereby... There we see the birth of the tiniest of tiniest element, which is like a spark which has got embedded in the darkest substance or even before, you know, just when matter is plunging into the inconscient, something from the Divine Mother's inmost heart which enters into the very substance of creation and a journey begins. This little spark surrounded by darkness, forgetting itself completely, That's why it is called as Anish, not self, not its lord. And then it travels through lives after lives after lives after lives. And then we are told by some well-meaning people that uh, why is it traveling through all these lives? Well, to end in a blank knot. And here the story gets twisted because it is such an absurdity. For this entire drama, this process, this plunge, this oblivion, this recovery, this evolutionary journey, these planes, the hierarchy of worlds, these gods and goddesses and titans and many, many layers of creation which is teeming with energies and forces and beings. And for all this to ultimately end abruptly, suddenly in a vacant knot. And here we see that Sri brings in a very beautiful, uh, the most logical, if I may say so, perspective that the reason is that now this material creation has to unite in which the Shakti is lost, must join the creator. The creation and the creator must join. What now is parted or twain, they must come together, fuse completely, join fully, become one, integrated and whole but in a new way and that's where the rub lies well the divine is divine full even before the creation begins that's how it is described the full purnam out of which the full comes into creation and yet it remains complete it is complete within itself and yet there is something which happens in the process of creation and that is the progressive union of the creator and the creation which gives birth to many offsprings like possibilities, wonderful possibilities. That's what manifestation is about. Full of the unexpected, full of the danger and the charm, the delight and new things emerging. The joy of the unexpected and the nodal point where this meeting ground takes place between the creation and the creator for us as human beings, now we can you know take the story a little fast forward, is the human being. So within us there is a point where the creator and the creation meet. So we when we uh, study the entire, you know, when we look into Savitri, the triple soul forces, we see how from surface we go deeper and deeper until a point comes where Savitri discovers the soul. And when she discovered the soul on one side, she has come deep within following the backward trail from the surface consciousness. And on the other side, there she discovered the image of the mighty mother, all the centers open and then she has the transcendent himself coming and taking hold of the soul and a new creation and a new possibility beginning to manifest or becomes possible and the conquest of death of the inconscient. So essentially, the importance of this psychic being, especially in this yoga, is because while the otherworldly yogas with whose goal is moksha, nirvana, it can be done even without being fully conscious of the soul. Of course, soul is the main element. But normally in general in yogas, it presses upon the inner being, in the heart as in Bhakti Yoga, upon the mind as in Jnani Yoga, in our dynamic parts in Karma Yoga, and it stands behind, pressing upon them, and these parts begin to turn toward the Toward the divine, so we see that the mind begins to turn, seek the divine through the help of the idea. The heart begins to turn toward the divine with emotions and uh, bhakti of a certain kind, and the life dynamic parts begins to turn to the divine through works and service. And the soul is behind. Yet any of these parts can, by the intensity of aspiration and concentration, as if cut a little hole, a little beam like a laser through the magic circle of nature and in that part something of us escapes and finds the creator, joins with the creator, leaving the rest of nature as a cloak or a worn out garment. And quite naturally that is one consummation we have all heard. But in these yogas, because they insist on an escape, There is no real necessity of discovering the psychic being. That's why we see that it's something very unique to Shobindo's Yoga, though it is mentioned in the Yoga of the Upanishads, uh, it is mentioned in the Vedas, hinted in the Vedas. But it is developed fully in Shobindo's Yoga because here the goal is to join the Creator in the creation. And the psychic being is that element which has consciously plunged into creation with the whole will and objective of uniting it with the Creator. And that is why we see those lines in Savitri where the queen blames God for all that is happening. Why and who put us here? And he says that, uh, well, we chose for it. Something in us chose for it. Attracted by the otherness of self. There was a vast dark darkness and it plunged into it. And that's why anytime anyone who discovers the soul, that there is a whole reversal of looking at life and creation. What looked like an impossibility begins to look like a challenge we must overcome and overpass. These are some of the signs which at some point of course will be discussed. What looked like as something which cannot happen, cannot be done and is better to escape, that appears to be the task, the work, the mission that must be done, must be accomplished because that is the nature of the soul. So the soul is that evolutionary element which has come from the divine and tagged along. It's like a chip of the divine. Just like there are viruses which spoil the computer, this is like a self-upgrading divine element in creation which keeps on upgrading itself, evolving. And as it evolves, nature also evolves, even material creation evolves. That is the beautiful part and that's why it's a great role even in our everyday life. So let's say... As a counsellor, if somebody would ask how to improve my relations and if I am in a mystic mood and don't want the whole process through which one has to go through, I would simply say find your soul. So one would just wonder how is soul going to help me in my everyday relation. Well, because when we discover the soul, then we understand what the true relation should be. Then we no more look upon the wife or the husband as my wife, my husband. But we look upon them as Gifts of the divine who have come to us and we are like trustees and we have to be with them as the divine is with them. Unattached and yet with complete love. So it's a very different outlook towards matter, towards money, towards everything in life because we start seeing everything in life and creation as a divine opportunity, even a divine experiment. And we start looking at new possibilities that would emerge. And by that very fact, we start opening to the grace. And of course, by new possibility, I don't mean uh, new kinds of invention, which is what the vital turns the soul energy into and the mind also we see that in Savitri the human uh, response when this element is beginning to become awake. So nevertheless so this is the this is the evolutionary element which has come from the divine and it it never forgets the divine even in its most darkest state. It never loses its beauty and that's why when once somebody told the mother that mother this is a wicked soul And mother says, "Uh, how can you say that? The soul is never wicked. Every soul is beautiful. Every soul is divine. In fact, it is our true identity. It is what we are. It is where the faith springs from. Very often people uh, mistake faith to be belief. But belief is a mental thing. Belief is something we acquire. We are, we are born in a certain belief and we accept it habitually. We may be conditioned. We may be brainwashed into belief systems, religious, ideological and all the rest. But that's not what faith is. Faith is something which really keeps us through the journey and let's take this form of you know the difference between the two uh, human beliefs may change they may break down and things like that and yet we continue to be there because there is something which is deep within us like a light which gives us hope it is from faith that hope comes and that's why even though, even when the appearance is the darkest of dark still men do not want to leave the play and frankly even those who want to uh, seemingly quit the game They still are waiting. There is still hope. Maybe something will happen. Someone will come. A word will be spoken and I will be saved. Because there is deep within this source of hope, this source of faith. So frankly speaking, to find the soul is to find the remedy for all the maladies. It can give us the right action, the right understanding, the right perception. It is very interesting. Incidentally, the other day, I was contemplating on, you know, people say Buddha didn't speak about the soul and he didn't speak about even the self, anatma, but I realized that he is saying the same thing in a different way when he says right understanding, right perception, right action. There is no other part in us which can do it except the soul. He has not used the word, perhaps he didn't want semantics. When he said in the mind, in the vital, free it of desires, then the true understanding will come. Where does this understanding come? It comes from the soul. Then the right perception of things will come. Where this, does this right perception come from? It comes from the soul. So soul is not an inert witness who is simply helplessly subjected to nature and one day waiting that one day somebody will come and pick it out of the well, a picture that has been painted in our heads. It is an extremely dynamic element, so dynamic that its mere presence is dynamism. And we can compare this action to a bulb which is present in a room which is lit up, but it's covered with many, many lamp shades. And uh, on top of the lamp shades, there is this uh, black uh, um, curtain. So, when we keep removing one after another, what do we discover? Do we discover an inert bulb, but a bulb which is lit? And this bulb can light up the whole room and as we begin to discover one layer after another, we discover that this light was somewhere hinting that it is present, drawing us towards itself. So soul is an extremely, the most dynamic uh, element in us because it comes straight from the creator. It can create its own destiny deep inside. It is the soul that chooses a certain line of experience, certain environment and all these things that we go through life, even situations. So this is the great power of the soul and that's why the importance of its discovery. So this is the entire journey through which the soul comes from the divine, enters into the inconscience and from this inconscience it starts the journey back. It is with the divine mother from layer after layer it climbs through all the steps through which she takes us until it is ready to take this creation to which it is uh, already tied up and united and join it to the creator. This is the beauty and the mother says in one of her prayer that this is the real purpose of man to be like the quaternary, the central point of the quaternary of X where there is that which is beyond, that which is below and man must station himself there at the meeting point. And this is only possible through the soul. Why? Because if the mind tries to reach that center, the mind gets the shock of the unknowable and completely loses itself. That's what happened to mystics who went through the mind. They touched that point and it was so impersonal. Shubhinda speaks of it in the life divine. And when it reached that point, it just entered into a vast impersonality of Brahman, the stillness and the silence and... uh, nothing, it, it couldn't really join, it it vanished into that. And when we approach purely by the heart, not the deeper psychic, but by the emotional heart, that ecstasy is so much to bear and it is so captivating, so charming that we do not come back into creation. The other day, I was seeing a little dance drama of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's, uh, how he, you know, finally left his uh, wife and mother By the love of Krishna, he is enamored by Krishna and finally he leaves them. They are crying and he cannot because he is so much captivated by Krishna that nothing can hold him back. He understands their pain, but he is just God crazy, literally. And ultimately he goes and fuses into Krishna while they are left behind. So it's a strange kind of feeling I had when I saw this on one side. There is the joy of the being returning back to the divine in ecstasy of the divine beloved flinging into his or her arms and on the other hand the work and purpose for which he had come that is left, it is abandoned. This happens when we approach that great reality through the mind or the heart and that's what we see in many of the stories and legends and uh, i'll not enter into it that Uh, but here in shurabindu's yoga the starting point is something still deeper that's why shurabindu speaks of not the seeking of the mind but aspiration in the soul aspiration is something different from seeking aspiration implies that there is something which is already there and it aspires for that seeking mind may have doubts time to time that well what I am seeking is there something like an absolute source of knowledge but to the soul there is this ultimate knowledge and it aspires for that truth for that light for that knowledge so that's why we see that aspiration which springs from the soul never a shadow of doubt can cross it it can cross the mind When the mind begins to seek, it may cross the mind, but never in the soul. Its nature is to aspire for that which secretly it knows. So, it contains within it all the elements of the divine as an essence. As a seed contains the tree. And its aspiration is to grow back into the tree. Its aspiration is each soul is a mode of the divine. Divine is infinite. Now, you know, not that each soul will manifest in manifestation. There always be variety and degrees so each soul is meant to express a certain mode of manifestation of the divine that's how we can talk of family of souls so there are family of souls which together come down to do the divine work there are family of souls which are innately turned in bhakti in love in self giving toward the divine there are family of souls and beings which come with a kind of God knowledge, aspiration for God knowledge and it comes quite naturally and spontaneously to them and we see that also in many of the stories. So this there is a soul family which sometimes more often than not is different from the physical family. So that's why it is said, mother confirms this: children of the same family are rarely born under the same roof. Now why does this happen? So in the early stages of evolution this itself becomes a Means of evolving further. It's like when we are faced with completely contrary appearances. Say a person who is born to express the true knowledge. He will be surrounded by things that contradict it. Initially it is like that. So the circumstances, situations of a soul taking a human life in its early stages will be all that contradicts it. And through that challenge it begins to grow And as it grows it begins to become aware that this contradiction is not so much outside but within me. Like in Buddha's life we say that the last battle he has to fight is not with the demons outside but with Mara who is nothing else but the ego. So that's where it begins to become aware that there is within me that shadow which is preventing my advance. And then of course it has to either merge or if it is mostly it is here for the traditional work, it becomes uh, a conscious point of becoming a representative of a certain difficulty and a possibility. So there are souls which come with a certain kind of possibilities. And there are families, cluster of souls. And that's what we see. Often in, even in spiritual, uh, those spirituality is a vast field, we will see that there are sects and cults formed around a certain path and approach. And even when they, we have the wideness like Sanatana, Dharma, or Ashurabindu's Yoga, still we will see there are angles of approach and there are modes of manifestation of the divine through certain kinds of soul types. So these are soul types which uh, have not been uh, really studied. Shirobindo once gives a very um, passing hint when Dilip Kumar Roy speaks about men who approach through the intellect, don't you think they will have a wider realization? And Shravinda says, well, maybe homo-intellectualists may have a wider realization but he will miss what the homo psychicus will find maybe something not so wide but more intense and that intensity is required for the completeness so of course in Shubindo's yoga we take all these things together but still there will be an angle of manifestation so there are these families of soul which first stage of soul development through early lives it is a niche it is sleeping like a baby in the womb of the mother knows nothing and it is being fed by nature it is being fed by all kinds of elements even the darkest element because the moment there is the darkest of appearances the soul it carries the light within it is its very nature it suddenly brings out that light from within itself and presses that light on the surface it may or may not win in the earliest stages but you know it ultimately is overpowered but yet it comes back by that exercise, its light increases. And in another life, there is a still greater light, light. So there is no retrogression. And there is the darkness, there is the challenge. And again, in another light, the light increases. Till the soul begins to turn upon itself to look for the source of light. That's when instead of being anish, completely not self, not e, not lord it changes into a witness, the Sakshi, a student of itself, it begins to try to understand who am I, what is the source from where I am deriving, source of love, source of light, source of wisdom, source of truth, where is truth and during this stage, we see that something very interesting happens, it begins to seek for these three elements which are, we may say, the basic innate attributes of the soul and they are truth, truth, good and beauty. So they are the famous trilogy of Satyam, Shivam, Sundaram. And wherever there is truth, initially it, it uh, takes it, even in its blindness, it seeks for these things. But it thinks, or it's rather the surface nature, misreads the intimation and it feels good means my selfish good. Beauty means a beauty of outer form. And it thinks that um uh, good uh, truth is merely and surface information of facts, but as it begins to develop and pressure uh, puts its pressure more and more, we begin to seek a greater truth a good beyond this little good and a beauty which is skin deep, personality deep, form deep, even a formless universal beauty. So, initially, this is how the soul begins to express itself in the surface consciousness by seeking for these things and it can take very interesting forms like uh, those famous lines of Keats I cannot give you what, uh, sorry, Shelley, I cannot give you what men call love. So, because now that love has changed into an adoration that's because his soul is developed and he's seeking all the time for the divine beloved. He doesn't know the word divine beloved. So, he's seeking it in many forms. And cannot find He feels that that love which is there in his heart is not understood So this is a stage through which the soul passes Where it is beginning to become a student of itself So Anish, then Sakshi Then it becomes an Anumanta It begins to develop a kind of discernment Our intelligence itself out of human nature Under the pressure of the soul A new faculty develops Which is the true Buddhi so this buddhi has two movements as the Gita puts it. I would put it that there are two evolutionary stages of the buddhi. Buddhi is there in every human being but in its primitive early evolutionary stage it is only turned toward the things of the flesh outward and below. And as it evolves further because the soul within us evolving it has another movement it develops it begins to turn upward and inward so once this happens the soul instead of just being a sakshi begins to become an anumanta it begins to sanction the works of nature before that when it is anish it is helplessly signing wherever nature takes and as shuvindra describes a, a, a regency which indifferently signs the acts whatever nature tells him that that uh, you know in that direction it flows it's in the womb But slowly it begins to question, it begins to discern and make conscious choices. Frankly speaking, true choices begin at least when the buddhi is awakened and it's turned upward and downward. Before that, we use the word choice, but like many things, we use this word choice, love, knowledge, but it's not these things at all. What we call as choice is simply drifting by the vital. So this is how the soul reaches this third third stage of evolution where it becomes the Anumanta and then when it begins to sanction, make conscious choices, it accepts certain movements of nature but denies certain movement that it begins to finally turn towards recovering and discovering and recovering its own divinity and becomes the master, the lord of nature, Ish. So this is the entire journey and this journey takes place, and the same journey is replicated as we see in human life because the plan is the same. So, we see the seed being buried in the soil, being attracted in its darkness towards the light, which it feels but doesn't see. Then the outer crust breaks, it is fed by all the waste and stifling elements of nature. It feels the pressure of the earth around. It wants to break free, but the earth is pressing on all sides, and yet it breaks ultimately free from the crust as it dissolves and it comes out, comes out as if led by an unseen force till it breaks free from the ground and opens to the sun. Same thing happens with human beings. In the initial stages, we feel submerged by the darkness deep inside we are unhappy because we are stifled. The soul element is stifled and we seek this happiness in all kinds of things, all kinds of foolishnesses, stupidity. We want power by crushing others, stifling others and thereby this is what is called as the asuric birth in which we are born initially as an asura. Not The soul is not an asura. The soul is simply submerged in darkness. It cannot. Ha- it is like helpless and yet it slowly grows and every asura has a divine future, has a godlike future, to put it that way, and therefore none should give up. And this was one of the works of the mother, uh, is the conversion of the four asuras. And equally, every godlike person has a past which is an asuric past, and both are required. One, two, the asuric lives are like lives of challenge, struggle, intense struggle, and through them, the strength increases in us. And the godlike lives when we are what is called as fine, noble human being, the Rajosatvic life, as opposed to the tamurajasic life, uh, more luminous, more brighter life. During that time, we develop wisdom. So both strength and wisdom are required in the blossoming of the soul. Soul cannot blossom only by feeding it with the milk of knowledge. It needs to take the real challenge of life. So these, this is how the soul journeys, and. Again, we see it in the mother's womb. It comes, enters into the darkness, not knowing how it is. Then there is the uh, restlessness it wants to come out. There are many people who feel very stifled and they don't know why they they run here and there to get some pleasure. they drink, they party, they try to forget themselves, they try to run away from their cell, but you cannot do that ultimately and eventually out of this stifling something burst open and that's why certain radical conversions human life is full of these radical conversions most unexpected conversions where a person was today completely as if submerged in a kind of life and suddenly something opens and he begins to change he begins to seek something so this is how the soul there comes a life when there is a uh, moment of transition and in that life it experiences maximum stifling. In fact, nowadays many youngsters whom I see feel stifled, they want to break free from their environment. Some of them unfortunately want to die, not realizing you have to die to the ego. You have to break free from this bondage of ignorance which is stifling. And a time comes when held by the divine grace above or prompted by the divine grace, the uh, hand which is outside, when the chick is ready, it pecks and the chick flies out. So that's how the journey is. Each time the soul takes a human body, it comes for this very purpose, ultimately. And how does it uh, enter? When it is anish, then it is led by the blind forces of nature. Very often people uh, feel that soul chooses uh, the womb. Well, yes and no. I mean, it's not yet developed to make a choice. Uh, But nature itself knows it has its own wisdom which operates within nature. And the soul is automatically, automatically attracted in such a way. It's not a conscious choice that way that will give it the experiences that are needed. So it enters into a womb where it needs certain experiences. And that's why when we try to oversimplify uh, creation, uh, sometimes we try to help in our over-enthusiastic help, we abort the butterfly. So there are a whole lot of these, uh, uh, sorry to say, but philanthropists and you know, altruists <laughs> who... Who deprive that uh, needed labor which is required? Unfortunately, in the early stages, we need it. So it's like prolonging the misery. What could have happened in one life will happen through little more lives thanks to human intervention because instead of awakening the soul, we have only fed the parts which are ignorant. So we have this classical two paradigms. One is where when people are hungry, when they don't have, you keep giving them material needs well of course one should do it but not make it like this is a way of my life as as the mother once remarked that there was a philanthropist who was uh, continued to give money and one day somebody asked him don't you think that they are increasing in number because you are doling out uh, money more and more and I see the line is increasing but when we look at the other perspective the perspective of Buddha the perspective of the ancient rishis what did they do? When they saw a person in misery, they tried to awaken the soul. We, we come back to the same point. This is what is important. Because if the soul is awakened, the circumstances begin to change. That's how the mother describes that if we find ourselves in a certain set of circumstance, if we change it outwardly and mechanically, they will repeat itself. Even when a person has outwardly everything which is right according to the tick box, yet the soul has a need of feeling unhappy. I mean, going through that, uh, not feeling unhappy, but that experience. So, it will feel that I am in the midst of the worst situation. Because that is how evolution works. Evolution doesn't operate in a mental way. That's why, that's not compassion, but that's how we understand it. So, very often we use the word orphan, meaning thereby anath. But, if you look back from the spiritual perspective, there is no anath. There is no orphan. It's just that, Man by his nature leads an orphaned life because he doesn't know his divine parentage. So to help an orphan is to make him find his true parents and not keep giving him outwardly. That may be a temporary remedy. But the true remedy for the spiritual path, often people ask, why don't in the ashram context, why don't they indulge in philanthropy, have free hospitals, and uh, you know, free meals, etc.? And that's because we don't want to give temporary, not even remedies, but uh, you know, they will strengthen ultimately the ignorance. We want the permanent remedy, and the permanent remedy is to discover the soul. Now, when the soul develops then comes a point of time it begins to more and more dictate the environment circumstance even the parent it knows what it wants to choose and then it will take it will begin to it has its own innate intuitive sense like a torch light and through that it can sense a corresponding vibration in the parents and it will be drawn towards a kind of parents for a certain kind of inner experience they may not be, as we think that the more developed soul will choose rich environment, may not be at all. As the mother says, a soul which has gone through the experience of being a princess or a queen may want to be born in an ordinary peasant home because that will help it to develop further. So it will choose that kind of environment where it will develop the soul elements. So that's why we see that beyond a certain point of development human beings begin to seek that uh, and automatically reach there in the gita it is said very cryptically that those who have sought me in in a particular lifetime what kind of birth do i grant them so he doesn't say he'll be born in a very rich family or born in uh, you know to the president of uh, america uh, or you know the head of a sultanate <laughs> he will be born in a family of bhaktas Family of devotees. It is very interesting. It says uh, he will be born in such a family where he will quickly recover the yoga and turn towards me. So the soul vision completely changes. Its choices, values are very different. Then it begins to enter or seek for parents who are developed enough, who can support this deeper aspiration, regardless of what they outwardly may be. And that's when the real game begins, the real journey begins. Before that, nature is dragging with a deep wisdom hidden inside it and yet ultimately it reaches a point where the soul is conscious or conscious enough to make the choice of the environment and then it begins to grow much faster at an exponential rate till it reaches a point where the soul has conscious aspiration, birth of conscious aspiration means that I am round the corner. The mother describes that if there is conscious aspiration and it cannot be fabricated. We may pray by reading a prayer and pray every day. But aspiration, interestingly, cannot be fabricated. It is something which is unique to each soul. And once aspiration is born, the mother says, usually it is the last life. Sometimes it may take maximum two or three lives. But if aspiration is there, it is the last life for freedom from ignorance. In that life, or maybe another, the person will discover who that person is, what is its relation with the divine, the mission. Because the moment the psychic being discovers itself, there is this central being sitting up who was always above in the company of the divine. It has not entered into time and space. That is the Jivatma in its pristine purity. It is yet guiding the psychic being. It is like the original blueprint, like the original GPS. It is pointing the psychic being. Oh no, turn this way. Take a little turn that way. Though he doesn't know that there is a helping hand which has led me. And then when the psychic being becomes conscious, it fuses with the central being. We see described that in Savitri, where the two meet in a chamber of light and fire and grow one. And then what happens? We become conscious of that particular work and mission for which we have come upon earth. Until then, it is society, parents vital, mental, all these exercises, then we become conscious and then we go straight towards it, whatever that mission may be. And then there is that very clear aim and if the soul chooses the yoga of transformation, even before that, it developed psychic being, many things can happen. It is a free being. It can move out of manifestation. It can join with a line of descent from above. It can embody a Godhead and become a vibhuti or it can become ultimately be here consciously to a work of to a work of the divine in the world or it can even become a leader of mankind in the march beyond ignorance or it may participate in the yoga of transformation and all of the above and take upon itself all the challenges and difficulties of nature as a representative being so that's why that's how we see this entire journey And it's a fascinating journey full of uh, I feel uh, not uh, well danger is also delight to the soul. It drinks experience like a strengthening wine. The beautiful passage describing in Savitri the soul view of things. In the divine comedy a participant it comes to play ball with time and circumstance. It doesn't mind if death is on the other side. It says come let's play. You, if you are death, I am immortal because the soul is conscious of its immortality. No amount of death of the body can convince the soul that it is not immortal. It knows its immortality. That's how Shivinda says in his poem, The Divine Worker, No power can slay my soul. It lives in thee. Thy presence is my immortality. And then actually the real life begins. Honestly, it begins only after discovering the soul because we discover the real purpose. We discover the divine presence within. it. We can discover the universal consciousness, the Brahman, the cosmic consciousness, the cosmic truth. And we can discover beyond the individual and the universal, the transcendent divine. And we can discover the same truth manifesting in each other but in each one from a different angle. Then quarrel sees, then unity becomes natural, then brotherhood is a self-existent reality, and then there is peace and light in all the worlds, then harmony is born, and truth and divine love govern the world. So for all these things that we seek, including a kingdom of heaven on earth, the first task, the first business, is to discover the soul, not just a concept in the mind and i'm sure there are uh, other speakers and other camps in which we'll speak about how to discover and what happens when we discover but all that i can say is the most marvelous fascinating discovery much more fascinating than discovering uh, you know the greatest mountains um, somebody asked let me close with this little uh, you know in in a school one child was asked this question to write about <laughs> An explorer. So the child asked me, uh, usual name, Marco Polo, Megasthenes, Vasco da Gama, <laughs> Christopher Columbus. I said, none of these. So who is the explorer? We are the explorer. Because we are exploring uncharted oceans, unknown continents, unknown climes, through many lives. What an explorer. The soul is the great explorer, the great adventurer who through all these different lives ultimately grows towards the fullness of the tree that that is contained in it as a seed. Naturally, in this movement, there is no backward retrogression. Maybe momentarily, that's a special area I am not touching upon because Krishna does speak about it passingly. But it is a constant forward march out of the darkness we still go grow towards light. Out of hate and division we'll grow towards love and unity. Out of evil we'll go towards triumph of truth and good. Why? Because there is a soul within and there is grace above. Namaste. So we can have questions.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. It was so wonderful to hear these messages and what soul represents. And we have few questions here for you, Alok. Yes. Uh, One of which is, how can we hasten the process of psychic coming forward?
1: Yes, wonderful. So, uh, I'll give an example. See, foodies, they are attracted by the food that they like so provide the right kind of food and the soul will just jump out you know there is when we grew up I am talking now of the Indian traditions some very beautiful things so every day my father would do two hours of puja and <laughs> he would not get up from the asan once he would sit so he used to say if you sit even for going for urine suddenly Naradji who is all around he will come and sit on your asan. so you should continue with that So, I used, you know, that time it used to sound so funny. It is also said that wherever there is Ramakatha going on, Hanuman is present by default. So, meaning thereby that feed the soul with the food that it needs. And unfortunately, that food is not provided. Even in paid, uh, even in temples and churches and uh, all other places, because that food has to be provided. That's what satsang is about. Provided the food that it needs. And for me, the best satsang that one can ever have, this is a kind of satsang incidentally. And thanks to these efforts that I'm sure many people, because this is the food of the soul. This is what it needs. All the time we are with newspaper and WhatsApp and uh, uh, I don't know what are the new technological form, news and uh, internet. But we are not getting this food for the soul. The moment you give it, it will come out. It's like showing a carrot to a rabbit. (laughs) It's a crude way of putting it Equally, show it something crude and vulgar, it will shrink into the background by divine disgust. It instinctively recognizes the good from the evil, the true from the false. It shrinks from all that is ugly. It cannot stay in that environment. So there is a double process. One, to create our outer life and the inner life. Full of things that are beautiful harmonious true and for that best way is satsang for satsang this is very good camps are very good but the best is to dwell in the company of the books of Sri and the mother I I mean for me that is really satsang when we read Sri and the mother the soul will leap like this oh thank you so much it will say <laughs> for getting them and reading them So, at the same time, the other movement, stay away from all that is particularly crude, vulgar, unrefined. So, in traditions, it was so correctly said and is so true. When somebody said, oh, all this is nonsense, there is no God, there is no soul, all this. You know what the masters would say? They would not try to convince. They would say, your mind is very crude and full of grossness and it is so true they didn't ask the person's character they said your mind is full of crudeness and grossness it must be purified and refined that's why we have this very beautiful story in that Prashna Upanishad where the six rishis I am forgetting their names um, go to Pipalad I think one of them is Uddalak and they ask rishi Pipalad that we have certain questions they are themselves rishis They are not ordinary beings. And what does Rishi Pipalad say? He doesn't say, Okay, come, let's have a question-answer session. He says, Stay here for one year. Practice Tapasya. Practice Brahmacharya. And then after one year, if you are ready with your questions and I am capable of answering them, then I will answer. It's a very interesting Upanishad of the six questions and that's where it is a kind of we have to prepare a whole environment friendship company it means everything the vital interchanges that's why many of these rishis uh, or you know they wanted to slightly withdraw so all life is yoga doesn't mean that we go to any and every party and everything and all kinds of engagements in all life is yoga even within the ashram which is so much conterminous with the world it doesn't mean that one just goes here and there everywhere because god is everywhere <laughs> so the first step is to ensure that the environment is such that it doesn't throw those vibrations energies even people who may be counterproductive to the they, the soul will not step out it's a little if it's a warrior soul it has developed to that extent then it will demolish all that but generally so it's good to have that environment Nice, beautiful, even outwardly, inwardly, through books, through meditation, contemplation, satsang. These are the ways to bring the soul forward. And of course, love for the mother, if that is awakened, then the soul is actually already forward. (laughs) Self-giving to the divine. If that has happened, nothing more is really needed. That is enough to do the rest. Yes.
2: Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. There is another question. How do we become optimistic at the same time, not have any attachment with the results of action?
1: Yes. So, as I said, uh, the first part is very easy. How do we become optimistic? As I said, mystically, one would say that find the soul because the soul is always optimistic because it knows the grace above. It knows there is a divine within. But let's give a logical reply because question is on a different ground. So what is the basis of optimism and hope? Death asks Savitri. And Savitri replies very beautifully. And we can uh, uh, paraphrase it in our own way. We can have one of the two options. I am now talking pure logic. Is there a divine origin to creation or no? Yes or no. Like we can put in check checklist. If we say, no, there is no divine origin, then the question is meaningless. (laughs) If we say there is a divine origin in creation and the divine is imminent in creation, then nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing can eventually prevent this creation from becoming divine. So what is the source of hope? The divine presence in matter. And what is that part which recognizes it? It is the soul. So this is what we have to understand that these are the two approaches to life. In one approach, there is no divine origin. The life is meant only for eat, drink and be merry. That can hardly be called hope by any sensible common sense. And if there is a divine origin, again divine origin in terms of divine being imminent in creation, which is what the Sanatana Dharma teaches us and all Sanatana Dharma based uh, you know approaches, then there, there is nothing else but hope. However long the darkness be, that which is hidden inside will come out. It is the straight, plain logic of things. That's why Shobindu says the supramental change is inevitable in the very logic of things. Why? Because the supermind is involved in creation, it is bound to immerse through evolution, time taken notwithstanding. So, this is the basis of hope. To strengthen that hope, read Mother and Shobindu. (laughs) They are so full of hope,
2: always full of hope. There is one more question. Uh, Can a person who triggers all that is ugly inside of us so as to set a series of events that lead to one's transformation be considered a member of our soul? This (laughs) is (laughs) a very interesting question.
1: Well, let's put it like this. The soul can use everything the deepest darkness for its growth that doesn't mean we should feed it with darkness to grow let me put it like that and uh, niroda once asked suravindo i don't understand why should the divine need to be given filtered water because is the divine every germ and bacteria he can absorb so why give filtered water and suravindo replied in another way but why would you like to feed the divine with germs and <laughs> bacteria and viruses So, it's true that the soul can use anything and everything. Out of evil, yet good emerges. But how much more beautiful that we can help this emergence with less struggle, less pain by walking the sunlit path. Surely, there is the, you know, darkness can help because it intensifies the aspiration for light. But how much better if even when there is day, we aspire that may the sun never set and all glows with the glory and the wonder of the Lord. That is the difference.
0: I have just a, a quick question, uh, Alok, Yes, if please. I may. Uh, yes, please. What is the role of the inner being in terms of the discovery or the uncovering of the soul? Oh, Where does that inner being come in yeah. in the process of discovery?
1: So let's look at it like that. The outer being is a completely closed territory. It is a hard shell of the ego. So it is uh, the most external surface man identified purely by name, form, outer appearances etc. Now in this state we are completely imprisoned by the senses and there is no chance of discovering the soul. The first step in our evolution is when we enter into this subjective space that we call as the inner being. There are thoughts, feelings, deeper hopes, wishes, aspirations, and we go deeper and deeper. Now, in this inner being, we start opening to the universal consciousness. And this is a passage through which we have to pass. Now, this passage has its own, offers its own help and offers its own difficulties and challenges. Now, Shavedra speaks about this as the intermediate zone through which one has to pass. We see it described in Savitri. Everybody has to pass through it and it's quite possible that we may stop at any of the halfway homes of the spirit at least for one lifetime. Because we are caught in this inner being when the gods and the titans, as Shabindu says, claim our soul as for a costly price. So it is so important to walk through this territory very consciously. That's why, you know, uh, even Shurabindo, when I had read in synthesis, I was so, it, it brought in that active vigilance that how one has to be conscious, even a soul, which is becoming on the word a being who is on the verge of discovering, is becoming an instrument of the divine, can be veiled and turn into an instrument of the asuric design. For one life, there is no doubt that it all returns back. So, inner being, it can help us by consciously cultivating thoughts which are beautiful, feelings that are turned towards light and harmony and beauty and love and sweetness, life that is dedicated to the service of the divine. And equally, we may not bother about it. We may think just by concentrating in the heart we are going to find. Well, most likely than not, if we don't work upon our thoughts, feelings and um, our life parts then or even the physical parts, then more likely is we'll get caught in one of these spaces that's why we have to very consciously reject ambition, uh, excessive sexuality, fear, all these things from the inner being and cultivate uh, you know thoughts which are turned upward. Thoughts which turn toward the divine. That's what is called is giving our thoughts to the divine. Dwell in the thoughts of the divine very consciously. Every time contrary thoughts come so uh, we have to turn it by the Pressure of the will? No, no, this is not what I am supposed to be thinking. Catch it and turn it towards the divine. Every time a feeling which is dark, ugly, narrow, which uh, uh, you know arises from the uh, mud of the lower nature, we have to show it the light from above. Educate these parts. Tell them that this is not worthy of the great path that I am being c- carried on. And to constantly substitute that feeling with love, joy, all this is the constant work that should go on. Because ultimately it is the inner being which will become the inner man, the true personality. So it is the personality, the real person. Outer is nothing. We think outer and the world sees the outer. So it is the passage towards the soul. And like all passages, it offers, offers help, it offers resistances. And we have to tread through it consciously because on one side it has those uh, shortcuts through which we can make glorious ascents like that, <coughs> what's that game? Snakes and ladders. And we have ambushes waiting around the corner through which we may gravitate downwards. So in inner being one has to be very conscious and keep remembering the focus that where I have to go. <coughs> That's why paths which rely more and more on surrender on the Divine Mother are much safer than those of tapasya relying on their own effort. Because the forces that one encounters in the inner being are tremendous. They are universal cosmic forces. Even one may become an instrument of God, a God, and stop. And leave aside becoming an instrument of the deceptive forces. But if the grace is there, one has surrendered more and more, then one goes safely. Mm. Thank,
2: thank you, you so much. You. Yes. Uh, There are questions warming up. People are warming up to (laughs) the discussion, as usual, as you know. So what is the Sunlit Path? Can you point me to the Sunlit Path method? Is there a method, sunlit
1: path method? Whatever be the darkness, whatever be the surrounding situation, circumstance, seek for the light and know that the sun is there even when the darkness abounds. It's the path of faith, path of aspiration towards the sun. If one is surrounded by darkness, don't believe in the darkness. Don't waste time complaining, grumbling, blaming, worst of all. Aspire more intensely for the light. If everything seems impossible, know that for the grace, there is nothing which is impossible. So that is the sunlit path which opens towards the divine grace, even in the worst of situation and circumstance. So then we will discover that is sunlit, I mean, the, the sun has always been there, calling us, drawing us, and eventually we enter into that straight road. Don't believe in darkness and the almightiness of evil. That's why when mother was asked what should we teach children, one thing she said that truth conquers, and that's why in I think it is Svetashutar Upanishad if I'm not mistaken, where the discovery starts like this Jayate Nanditam Pantha devyana Believe that truth will conquer. One day, doesn't matter, that poem of the mother, one day, this life, another life, of course this truth is not legal social truth. (laughs) Truth will conquer and not falsehood because through truth that the path has been laid. So this path, sunlit path is to be truthful and sincere with oneself, with the divine, never to put covers and justifications It is the path of sincerity. It doesn't mean to tell everybody what is happening inside me. Certainly not. That is foolishness. But to be sincere to one seeking. This is what I am here for and notwithstanding the difficulties, I know the divine is with me and I will keep pressing towards it. That is the solid path. Sincerity opens the door. Surrender to the divine. Faith in the divine. Intensity of aspiration melting every obstacle and above all, love and self-giving to the divine, serving the divine as the sole motive of existence, that is the sunlit path of the psychic beings, of the soul. Mm,
2: thank you so much. i will to ask one more question and then... Uh we will come to the end. Is there a psychic location for psychic beings, someone asks.
1: Yes, of course. It's there. It, I mean, the location is again self-evident. In India, we do namaste <laughs> and many times we do this because the divine presence, intuitively, this is very intuitive. When we describe ourselves, we don't say, I am so and so. People will wonder what's gone wrong. <laughs> Nor do that touch the belly and say, I am so and so, however fat the belly may be. They say, I am so and so. All presentations start from there. This is the seat of the divine presence and the psychic is always near the divine. Mother has spoken of the psychic as the wire, a wire that connects divine the generator to the body which is the bulb. So it is where the divine presence is, which is in the heart, which is at the core, the center of all things. If we were to stretch our hands, make a whole triangle with the leg straight, this is the electrically neutral center. So it is in the heart. Having said that, when we are talking about the center... We are talking of a dimension which is not the three dimensions. So somebody may think that, okay, if I am quietening the mind, I will not find the psychic. No, one will end up finding the psychic because through the mind, one will ultimately enter the fourth dimension where one will find the psychic. It's not in the three dimensions. But this is the straight road. It's not that if you quieten the mind and seek the divine from here, one will not find. It's a long path and as I said, it's it can lead to various kinds of things like mind as a formative faculty. So it can give us a kind of even, um, uh, it can form images and we may think that we have found. Or it can enter into a state of vast impersonality where the urge to discover further is gone. We see that described in pursuit of the unknowable. But through the heart is the straight path because it is, uh, you know, right there. That's why a kind of even emotional bhakti has, you know, it can shorten the path provided in that state of emotion. We give ourselves to the divine, not the emotion of abhiman, vireya, wanting, asking. That is the uh, advantage of uh, approaching through the heart. So that is the straight is path. Because,
2: Moha? Yeah. There is one more addition out of this. Is the plexus solaris. He's the yes. Entry to that yes depth. Yes. Yes? Yes. Thank you. So, thank you so much. This was such a marvelous session. And if HP wants to say a word or something, so we
1: would... Thank you, Alokdar. Look forward to see you. For the uh, audience, we are... Uh, formally opening sherbindo Integral Life Center in Oro University campus in Surat. All are welcome. Thank and you. And is going to come there for a day and a half of retreat we are giving. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste.
0: Namaste.